Hey everyone, welcome back to Building Code. I'm Zach Witowicz. And I'm Charlie Burtwistle. It's another episode, but a special episode because this time we get to talk about a little more economics. Heck yeah. Very, very excited. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of uncertainty right now. People are tossing around, uh, you know, the, the scary recession word. People are talking about the demand, supply, all the good old economic terms. Instead of listening to Zach and I try to fake our way through it, we brought in an expert. Zach, tell him who we have today. Yeah, we have Mark Bowd out of Irvine, California. He is an expert in real estate economics, analytics, and feasibility studies. That is really impressive. He's got a long career in doing economic analysis, and he's a hot commodity. And like you said, Charlie, really, we are not in any position to uh, do more than to give our hot takes. So we thought, let's get a real expert in here and talk about some of these trends in construction. And I always love these really cerebral conversations because it lets us kind of see the realities. But I know that we're probably got some positives, too, that maybe we can shine some light on. Absolutely. Yeah, Mark is he's been around for a long time. He He's an expert in the field, and I'm personally looking forward to learning a lot from him. Yeah, that's right. Well, let's not prolong the inevitable and get Mark on here so we can start talking a little econ and maybe we can learn a thing or two. Mark, welcome to The Building Co. Thank you so much for being here today. Before we dive deep into the world of economics, let's talk a little bit about yourself and your background for our listeners. You bet. So I'm a, I'm a real estate economist. Um, I studied economics at Brigham Young University back in the Stone Age. I graduated in 1985 and um, have worked really in the private sector ever since. Most people know me from my work at Real Estate Economics. That's a company that I started in 1990 and eventually sold that in 2015 to uh, Metro Study Hanley Wood and worked as their chief economist first for metro study then for Hanley wood for five years and just really enjoyed that experience had a great time and uh, after five years my non-compete ran out and i uh, gently stepped away to kind of um, hang up my own shingle took a couple of clients with me and and uh, to uh, not work quite as hard as i i uh, i have so i'm, I'm enjoying kind of a pre-retirement life right now yeah, unfortunately, apparently the the industry wasn't quite ready for you to retire. Uh, <laughs> needed your your thoughts a little bit more. I I feel bad. Right? We brought you on, uh, you know, in November twenty two, and a lot of scary things are happening right now. I imagine this would have been a lot more fun interview a couple of years ago, and we could have talked about how awesome everything and things booming. But I feel like that's just kind of a, a day in the life of an economist, right? No one wants to talk until they're scared. Well, an economist loves change and we're at a big inflection point and so for me this is very exciting times you know to, to study that to try to understand that it, it's more difficult than it's ever been but i enjoy that challenge beauty's in the eye of the beholder right yeah this is, this is like your time to shine no how many interviews do we do in good economic times yeah <laughs> about the economy <laughs> yeah. well cool I've, um the past year i've, I've done probably presentations and uh, economic uh, um, seminars and, and interviews, probably about 100. I do about 100 a year. Wow, not bad. Definitely keeping you busy. Let's talk a little bit about that on your current work with real estate, real estate economics, analytics, and feasibility studies. So when you're going to conferences, you're doing speaking engagements, you're on podcasts, everybody's in demand, you know, what are you talking about? What are they, what are they hoping to learn? Or, or what do you specifically kind of you know, hope to convey in your, these, these 
moments to kind of talk about your expertise. Right. So actually what my daytime job is, is um, I do uh, feasibility studies and highest and best use studies for big land developers okay. and, and builders. So those are my main clients. And then I get invited to all of these various conferences and meetings to uh, to present to you know the um, the industry in general what's going on so um yeah i mean I, I just enjoy that but my my main work is consulting work analytical work for the builders and the big land developers across the country do you see a lot of similarities i mean primarily builder trend customers are kind of in the small to medium size, you know, 10 to 20 uh, homes a year, or even like some remodelers, especially contractors. Do you see a lot of similarities, I would imagine, between kind of like the residential space and some of these larger commercial or, or maybe even like publicly traded big builders? Well, the big builders, the public builders tend to have somewhat of a built-in advantage, uh, especially during a downturn, they can write off debt. And back in, in the 2008 to 2012 period, they did that in such a way that they were able to kind of monopolize the, the the industry, despite the fact that everything was so bad. A, uh, a private builder basically went belly up, while where a public builder just rewrote the debt. So there's an advantage for those large builders because of that, because of their economies of scale, because of their ability to control supply pipelines, which was very big during the past. Uh, uh, 18 to 24 months. However, what I've seen most recently is the advantage kind of shifting to the smaller builders. And I like that. You know, I love working with the small to medium sized private builders. They can be, they tend to be a little bit more nimble and able, a little bit more sensitive to market trends. And I think that can translate to them to the ability to, to change more quickly during an inflection point where most public builders take some time to, to, to kind of write that ship, uh, a smaller builder can change pretty quickly. They still need the research to do that. And the weakness that I see some of those smaller builders having is that they don't necessarily invest in the research the way the big builders do. That's changing. You know, I, I, I do a lot of presentations for CBUSA and of course Builder Trend. And, uh, and I, I've seen that change mainly because of entities like yourselves that enable them to kind of group together uh, for educational purposes, for supply line purposes, for all kinds of advantages that those larger entities have had in the past. You kind of translate that to the smaller builder, which I think is really encouraging. I have this internal kind of hope, and I always be talk about how like Builder Trends uniquely positioned to be kind of the railroad of the residential construction space to connect them, like bring, you know, at the time it, it was builders that I've talked to, like, at, you know, our events, they, they are always like thirsty to know, like, what is, what is the guy, a city overdoing or even a state over? Uh, and so I, it's really interesting that you say that, you know, like we can kind of play that part. You, you know, I want to, you said it was interesting. You talked about the big builders and like, not only do they have the advantage and downturns because they likely have, you know, have more sophisticated financial processes. They see the opportunity, they use it. And then you talk about the material side of things. Did you see a lot of those bigger builders like driving up those prices on the materials markets in the last, you know, two years, the builders are really having a rough go. They dealt with unprecedented, you know, logistical issues. And now they're in uncertain times, interest rates are increasing. You know, what, 
how is that going to, you know, affect the, the, the bigger builder, like who maybe contributes to some of these things, um, overall compared to the smaller builder? Right. Well, again, there's, there might be a little bit of an advantage for those, those smaller, more nimble builders, because a lot of those larger builders during the past 24 months in fear of losing supply, uh, entered into long range contracts, uh, long term contracts at, at the very peak of the market. And so in order to control that supply, so the smaller builders were left out of that and had a real hard time with all kinds of uh, supply issues. Um, however, that pendulum is now shifting with those larger builders stuck with those high, um, very high uh, costly contracts right. and the smaller builders being able to move in and take advantage of what I think is going to be a correction in supply. I mean, we're already beginning to see that a little bit, but I, I think during the next six months, the smaller builders will be able to take advantage of that while the, while the larger builders are still trying to take take uh you know calm down the supply pipeline that they currently have so to me it's there's a potential advantage in there for the smaller builders now that we're in the midst of this inflection point yeah i think that's that's really interesting especially the material side you mentioned uh working with our good friends over at cbusa uh, who obviously they do like group purchasing and allow smaller builders to to buy uh, materials at, at hopefully lower rates, uh, similar to the the larger type builders, but without being into those those locked in contracts. So, uh, hate to toot our own horn or and plug too much too salesy on the podcast, but definitely check out CBUSA. They're they're a fantastic organization. We're looking to grow uh, a ton going into next year. One of the things that Zach mentioned was you know the interest rates uh, the past you know. Well, I guess really the past couple of years, it was really, really good for a really long time, unprecedentedly. Uh, but then the past six months or so continued to climb. Do you think we're kind of at a peak where that begins to correct itself or are we uh, going to stay steady for a while there? Or what's kind of your forecast going into 23 around interest rates specifically? Right. So unfortunately, I don't think we've peaked. I mean, I know that we've seen some downturn in mortgage rates during the past couple of weeks, but I think that's almost a blip especially when the fed is talking about right now the fed is the fed funds rate is at 3.88 and they're saying that they're really not going to calm down until it hits five percent not that mortgage rates necessarily correlate with the fed funds rate it mainly correlates with the 10-year treasury yield but the 10-year treasury yield has begun to calm down a little bit um the 10-year treasury yield really tracks with inflation and inflation has has calmed down a little bit. It's gone from nine percent back in June to I think right now it's about seven point eight percent, which is a shockingly high rate. Mm -hmm. If we were talking about that six months ago, mm -hmm. um, but right now it's it's a relief relative to nine percent. It's still high enough where I think it has a few more months of pulling up the ten-year Treasury yield. And so even though the 10-year treasury yield has come down a little bit, I think it's it's overall trend, even though it's going to be erratic, it's going to be upward for a few more months. And as the 10-year treasury yield goes up, it pulls up the mortgage rates. So we're getting a little bit of a pre-reprieve right now, but I think it's short-lived. And I think we'll actually, we won't peak until sometime during the first quarter of next year. One thing that I was talking to another friend about with the, the 
we had these rising material costs and now those are coming, coming back down. The one thing is the, the shortage of, you know, availability of housing. That is kind of one of the main drivers of price increases. I mean, will this give an opportunity to kind of spread out the availability of housing in kind of uh, communities where like, even in our own market, Charlie was looking for a house and he would try and go get one. And before he knew it, you know, it was like, boom. And like, and then they'd go look at building options. It was like, well, they have, they're competing with the market. And so they're charging just as much. Will we see any sort of like, uh, uh, what a kind of decrease in the, the inventory or increase in the inventory, which then hopefully will bring the pricing down. Well, yes, but it's not going to be a dramatic increase. Mm -hmm. It's nothing like in the past cycle, 2005 through 2008, um, we built so many homes that weren't really meant to be lived in. They were basically investment properties Mm -hmm. and the amount of oversupply was just enormous. Mm -hmm. We had overvaluation and oversupply in 2005. This time around, we we have a bubble. Bubble. We have overvaluation, mm-hmm. but we don't have that oversupply. And in fact, the supply line issues that we've had is simply held back the supply. And the fact that that material costs tend to lag price. Usually, what happens is home prices go down. And then it may be months, up to six months, even a year before material costs follow suit in a dramatic fashion. And so you're, you you find yourself, we find ourselves in this funny period where costs are still high, prices are coming down, and that means that a lot of, of near-term projects no longer pencil because they can't hit the high prices associated with those costs, which brings down supply. And so I, I don't see much oversupply happening. I think that overall supply is going to remain tight. Mm. And there's another factor that, that even the resale market will remain fairly tight because most of the resale market is associated with move up housing. Per, per people who purchased their first home or second home, they refinanced at a ridiculously low rate, you know, 3%, 2.5%, 3.5%. And they're not going to move. I mean, why would oh, in the world would they give up that three percent rate to purchase a new home at seven percent? It's it's not going to happen, at least not very often. And so what ha- happens is you get people remaining in place, and that turnover rate slows way down. That slow turnover rate slows the supply or reduces the supply, even in the listings in the existing home market. So we're not building nearly as many new homes as we should where our listings are going to go up, but they're going to be fairly tight still. And that means that overall prices, they'll come down a bit because we hit ridiculously high levels, but they're not going to come down as as much as a lot of people think. They'll come down because really in effect, what we did is when we went from three and a half percent to 7% mortgage rates, that translates to almost a 40% increase in monthly cost. And that's just completely unsustainable. And so prices will have to come down because of that, but they're not going to collapse like they did in 2008. We'll see. My own forecast is from top to bottom. Nationally, some markets will be worse, some will be better. We'll hit about a 10% correction. And that's, you know, that still sounds, you know, fairly bad, but it's far below the 30% plus correction that we experienced last time. Right. I think, uh, 
a lot of things. I mean, you mentioned the the ability of smaller builders to stay nimble, um, adjust, and different things like that as we're going through these crazy times to, to stay on top of their feet and keep their business sustainable. What other things would you kind of recommend? I guess if someone's hearing this and they're thinking to themselves like, oh crap, am I ready for what's about to come? Or what do you recommend uh, the builder do to prepare for all these things that you're kind of forecasting out and, and even a possible recession and, and things that may be coming in 23? Well, I think in the near term, it's really important to take a step back from move up product. Again, that move up product is is going to be very slow because it's so dependent upon rollover equity. And that rollover process has been slow way down because people won't give up their low fixed rate. The entry level market is different. The entry level market, those buyers aren't beholden to a low mortgage rate. They're still incredibly cost sensitive, but as prices come down a bit, and as uh, builders participate in some creative financing, it enables those entry-level buyers to come in and those builders to tap into enormous levels of pinup demand in the entry-level market. So those smaller builders will have to work with their finance, uh, uh, with their banks to offer buy-downs and some of the other things that will directly lower the monthly cost of ownership to those entry-level buyers, but there's an enormous opportunity in the entry-level market. Now, a lot of those smaller builders concentrate on custom homes, and that high-end market is another market that should not completely fall apart. It's not gonna be damaged nearly as much as the move-up market, because those very high-end buyers often are purchasing cash or they have the assets needed to not be dramatically impacted by high mortgage rates. And so the luxury market will do fairly well. And then especially the move down market. Now the move down market, those those mature buyers still have to sell a property. That'll add to some supply. They'll have to lower the price a little bit, but they saw enormous equity gains during this cycle. And so they will be willing to give up a little bit to move uh, their existing home into their, their final home, their move down home. And they're not as sensitive to mortgage rates because a lot of them are purchasing out of assets. They're purchasing out of that equity rollover. So I think these builders really kind of need to concentrate more and more on both ends of the spectrum, the entry level market, the high end market to a point, and especially the move down market and, and begin to kind of diversify from that middle move up market that's so sensitive to mortgage rates. Are you, are you saying more builders do that diversification of even like getting into remodelers and so that they're not beholden to just new housing or is it still staying pretty you know, vertical as far as the type of work that they're doing? Yeah, if they can get into the remodel market and a lot of those builders do that, that's, that's a great market. It's going to continue to, to be very healthy. And you know, there's a forecast done by Harvard every year that shows double-digit growth through 2023. I think um, it the growth rate goes down, but it's still about 10% at the end of 2023. I actually think they're conservative. Really? I think that renovation market is going to continue to do really well because if people are staying in place, then it's much easier to take a HELOC, uh, mm-hmm. still sensitive to the interest rate, but they can pay that off quickly, to take out a HELOC and, and improve in place. 
And I think we're going to see more and more of that. I mean, it's already been very prevalent, but we'll see a lot of renovation activity. And so those smaller builders who can move into the renovation market will benefit. A lot of publics won't touch that, yeah. but the smaller builders will definitely benefit from that. Yeah, that's something that, uh, so I work on the data science team here at Builder Trend, and we have about, what is it, like 40% of our customers are maybe a little under that are in the kind of renovation or uh, remodel um, industry. And it's funny, even just, uh, you mentioned like uh, studies that are being done in our, uh, across the economics of like the, the market, but even like Builder Trend signup rates, we see kind of inversely correlated where we'll have big months of like remodelers. Um, and then we see more custom home builders starting to sign up. And uh, even Builder Trend is kind of affected by the shift between those two uh, industries working kind of side by side. Yeah. And I'm, I'm also curious too, as far as, you know, when we talk about technology fees and, and how these more mature builders are kind of investing in software, like I'd also, we tend to notice kind of like, I'm curious what, what it looks like for our own, you know, acquisition. And as people kind of like, do, do the savvy builders like go and invest more into technology because they can be more efficient, take on more work and have better insights into their business. But then the other piece that we want to talk to you about is the labor side of things. So there's material, there's, there's, you know, the, the costs of building, but then it's just the, the actual finding people to do the work. What, what's your take on kind of the, the labor shortage in the construction industry and, and potential solutions there? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, actually, before I address that, let me, let me tackle one other element that these builders can, can participate in yeah. during this inflection point that would otherwise be really painful. We talked about renovation, we talked about moving away from the middle uh, move-up market. The other is the accessory dwelling unit market. Mm. Um, if I'm, the builders, uh, these these smaller private builders got involved in that, that's going to be huge. I mean, there's so many markets that that ADU, that ADUs can be applied toward. Uh, military housing, disaster relief, um, a, um, a income home on uh, for, you know, to augment uh, income from the main homeowner rental properties uh, mm. airbnb units mm -hmm. um, there's all kinds of things that the adu market addresses los angeles county actually counts an adu as affordable housing mm. so there's this enormous push to build adus in los angeles county because of that and so it, it you know it's it usually gets um support from city governments as well because of that so just another one. Now, with regard to labor, which is still very difficult, uh, really the answer to that, and uh, you'll you'll get some, I might get some nasty letters because of this, but <laughs> the answer to that is immigration. Oh. We have got to increase legal immigration. I'm, I'm not for illegal immigration, but our, we need to turn on the spigots when it comes to legal immigration. A lot of those legal immigrants go into or are willing to go into the construction industry. We have a hard time coaxing our young people into that industry right now. You know, they're so um, they're so drawn toward tech and other industries. Uh, but we and and so it, it makes immigration all the more important. We had very little immigration in 2020 for obvious reasons because of the pandemic. 2021 was really low. 2022 was low. We 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 allowed in about a, uh, 800,000 legal immigrants. The demand 
just from uh, the, the labor pool was for another 2.5 million workers uh, could have come into the into the country and been absorbed into the labor market very, very easily without any negative effect whatsoever. That's part of the reason we've experienced inflation so much is because we've we've shut down that spigot. There's a lot of other reasons. If you want, I'll go into that. But part of it is because we've we've uh, been so reticent to increase immigration. And the construction industry should be all over that. We should be lobbying the government with regard to increasing legal immigration. Because it's, it's really the only solution. We won't get it from natural growth. And it's kind of a long legacy of the immigrants doing a lot of the, the labor on some pretty important industries in the United States uh, as far Absolutely. as the, you know the the railroads as I referenced earlier were mainly immigrant yeah. produced um, it's really interesting you bring up ADUs I know I'm kind of circling back but we've had a few clients on here snap ADU I worked yeah. with um, I shelter solutions too, yeah. in Portland and I had never seen an ADU until I started working at builder it's not a thing in Nebraska um, and they're yeah. amazing. I feel like we could do an entire episode on like Airbnb's effect on the real estate market. It'd be really interesting to hear your perspective on that. Um, I want I want an ADU in my backyard bad. When we had <laughs> sure. uh, when we had Whitney, our good friend Whitney Hill on from Snap ADU. I'm like, if you ever shift from California to Nebraska for some reason, I'll be uh, your first client here in <laughs> Omaha. Well, um, yeah, it's going to grow a lot. I don't know if you followed Buildable. No. Boxable, yeah. boxable. Uh, but unless there's some, you know, corruption or something else that I'm not aware of, they've got a really good model, you know. And so now as their second factory comes on, their demand is just so deep that um, they're just barely scratching the surface. Are they modular ADUs, like prefabbed? Factory built. Interesting. Uh, they can produce right now. Their first factory produces six a day their second factory will build uh, you know something in the double digits every day and wow. that doesn't sound like a lot but it's an entire house yeah yeah, yeah and that's... so and the, and the great thing is you can actually ship them in a trailer behind a pickup whereas kind of the the downfall of modular housing is you have to get this big trailer <laughs> and all permits and all kinds of things to to move the thing to its location with boxable you just you know, you fold it up, put it on a trailer in the back of a pickup and drive it to the site without any permits. That's a big deal. That's wild. Are are they the one that's literally has like even the electronic components built into the walls and they snap together and then it just like, it literally looks like a computer that you're plugging in the components and then it uh, it's yeah. built. That's wild. You, uh, you provide the foundation yeah. and then they'll unfolded onto that foundation and it's basically ready to go. So, so. Is, is that another labor shortage play is more and more of this affordable housing automation and technology doing the, the prefabrication of these homes and, and I mean, mass manufacturing is economies of scale to help drive down prices as well. Yeah. My fear is, is that uh, it's not a fear, but, what I think the trend is, is that you'll see the big publics getting involved in this by quite a bit yeah. instead of the smaller builders yep. who should be involved in it and probably will in the near term. But that's why D.R. Horton made a huge investment into Boxable. Hmm. Um, and you'll see other large public builders do that same thing so that they it just 
provides another arm of revenue stream for them in a, in a big way. So I, I think we'll see more of these builders get into it, partly because it resolves that labor issue mm. and partly because it, it introduces another revenue stream. Yeah, this is, we could talk right about now, this. Price is so high. Yeah. Uh, it, it, uh, it has an opportunity to add one or two more income earners into a household. And so that's another reason that ADUs are being built is allows somebody to grow in place to afford their home by by increasing the number of income earners per household. Not a lot of California residents without roommates, I imagine, <laughs> these days. Right. <laughs> New home builders or buyers. Right. I think, uh, yeah, we're getting close on time here, but the last question we wanted to ask you is, you know, coming into the, the end of the year here, I think this episode will actually launch uh, towards the, the beginning of the new year. Um, so what are some positive signs? You know, what are you most looking forward to and that our builders should also maybe be excited about uh, going into the new year? Yeah, I'm encouraged. I mean, we're, we're already in a housing recession, right? But, but the overall market, it might experience, and I think it will experience a mild recession, economic recession in 2023. But I think it's short-lived, partly because we have so many significant economic drivers in place to uh, to grow the economy on a national scale pretty quickly. If you think of the enormous investment that was made this, this year in infrastructure, a lot of those infrastructural dollars get spent, at least begin to get spent next year. Um, also, the uh, um, the turnover of the automobile, automobile industry, it'll have a couple of turnovers from fossil fuel combustion engines to to electric engines from electric to autonomous driving and that those are turnovers that create an enormous amount of economic activity and then even the housing industry the new home market i think has a built-in benefit relative to the existing home market because it is a lot cheaper to implement cost saving energy saving efficiencies in that new build relative to a retrofit and not not to mention updated designs, you know, accommodation of electric vehicles, those kinds of things. So the new home market is poised to continue to increase its premium relative to the existing home market if it effectively takes advantage of a lot of these new new uh, technologies. Then just the pharma, the biotech, the uh, uh, medical industry is going to continue to grow really well and be a major driver. So. That's only a few of them, but there's these major economic drivers in place that are poised for significant growth. And I think we begin to see, and I, I didn't even mention clean energy, oh my goodness, solar and, and all of the elements associated with transitioning from, from a coal-based, oil-based to, to solar and so on. That's an enormous turnover of infrastructure. All of those things drive the economy like we've never seen before. So I'm really hopeful that we see the beginnings of that in 2023 in a big way in terms of economic growth. My 23 forecast is that Mark is not retiring anytime soon. <laughs> Hearing you talk about everything that you're excited about, it doesn't seem to pair well with your goal of stepping away from all this. It doesn't look like I've been busy and I've been grateful for that. I'll Absolutely. say, Mark, you strike me as a guy who maybe doesn't want to, to fully retire. I think you might kind of like this stuff. I, I have hobbies that keep me busy. I'm, I'm building uh, some income properties in another state, and that kind of keeps me busy. But 
my heart is in real estate economics. I, I love doing that. And so um, you will, um, you'll see a lot of me in, in the next few years, I think. Absolutely. Whether well, I want that or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've learned a ton. I, uh, Zach always gives me crap when I write down notes while we're interviewing people, but I filled up almost a full page uh, during that. So really, really appreciate uh, you coming on and talking with us. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see you around, I'm sure. Thanks, Mark. You bet. Well, Charlie, we just had Mark on, an expert in real estate economics. We covered a lot of really awesome, interesting content. I always feel like I'm getting free college courses yeah. when I have these <laughs> yeah. these episodes, which is really fun. You get to kind of flex what you know and really what you don't. Yeah. Uh, and what'd you learn? I learned a ton. I uh, I made the reference to him on, the, you know, after we, I can't say that. <laughs> this is live. Uh, say, what'd you learn again? What'd you learn? Yeah, that was an awesome interview. I took, you know, almost a full page of notes on my notebook there. So show it to the camera. Yeah, you know, look I'm at that. Lying. Boom. Real notes. I'm not lying. Real notes. Uh, it was great. I, I really appreciated his comparison of kind of the big builders, big public builders yeah, that was to the smaller private builders. And I feel like his perspective is one. If I was a, a small home builder, I'd be really encouraged by uh, the ability to stay nimble, move quick, quickly adapt. Even if I'm in the remodeling space, I think that was uh, something that was encouraging. Uh, the the comments he made around like the move up market is going to be you know really really hard and hit hard this next year, but the move down and like entry level market is a huge opportunity. Yeah, people still need to buy houses; they need places to live. Uh, it just may not be kind of the high volume you know move up markets that he talked about. In addition to, he did say kind of at the upper tier of that with like the highly uh, like big value custom homes. Uh, where people are typically paying cash, um, probably won't be affected as much. So those are three lines of my 20 lines of notes. But yeah, Mark was incredible um, and definitely learned a lot. Yeah, we're going to post a lot of the content that he met, mentioned in, in the interview to kind of give you guys some insight if you want to go read the, the source material yourself. In the show notes, in baby. In the show notes. It's been a while since we had to get a show note drop. Absolutely. Yeah, we always it's always out there, but we're calling it out. One thing I think overall, pretty positive you know, analysis of all economic recessions have variables and he referenced like housing's part of a broader economic system. And I think the thing I always kind of joke with is like tech stocks are not the economy. Right. And so that doesn't mean even though there's a lot of investment in there, those people who maybe are selling their stocks, they're putting it elsewhere in a lot of cases. Right. And so it doesn't mean everything. And yes, there's some flooding of the labor of those industries, but that's not of the fabric of the economy, the entire picture. So I actually feel really positive about his, yeah. his analysis, which was more or less like it's going to have a dip, but then the rebound and all these other major sectors that are evolving, how they're doing things and construction is no exception. He talked about the automation possibilities and, and you know, the, the different people out there that are kind of starting to find ways to address labor shortages and right. materials are coming back. So like I'm hearing nuggets of things to be looking forward to if you're a builder in, in the coming year. 100%. And I think the biggest thing that I'll, I'll just kind of leave everyone with is just talk to people. Continue to listen to podcasts like this. Go to the international, Shameless plug. Yeah. Go to the International Builder Show if you can. Uh, go to Builder Trend on the Road, BTU. Even call in. I mean, RCS Org, they work with a thousand builders every single day. So if you want to know what other people are doing to prepare for this, you know, talk to people that know. So, and listen to the podcast, obviously. Shameless plug. Um, but yeah, I think that about does it for us. And if you're a YouTube watcher, you may have noticed on our shirt. Yeah, the brand new brand. The new brand. Look at that teal. Look at that. That'd it is nice. sharp. 
make sure you check out our new brand. Check out our .com. Our marketing team has been planning this for a very long time. It looks phenomenal. Uh, phenomenal. I love it. It's great. And we're excited for what that means for you guys with Builder Trend in the future of the software, the business. We're bringing great things to you. So stay with us. Absolutely. Uh, that about does it for us. I'm Charlie Wirtwistle. I'm Zach Watovich. We'll see you next time.